As we concluded the message last Sunday, you might recall the armies of the world under the command of the Antichrist and the demonic leaders of the world, they were gathering there near the Euphrates River. They were all poised to invade the land of Israel and to engage in this last great battle of the world there in these plains of Megiddo there in central Israel. But as I've done in most of the other messages, before we move on to this point, I want us to first take a moment and go back and rehearse again the circumstances and the events that have taken place to bring our whole world and all of its people to the brink of this final and disastrous end. You'll recall that leading up to the rapture of the saints, we know that behind the cloak of this visible world, Satan and his fellow demons will have been churning up their evil and their turmoil throughout all the nations of the world, positioning themselves for their opportunity then to rise to power during the Great Tribulation. And that's going to take place very soon after the rapture. And they will do that according to these prophecies of the book of Revelations and also in the book of Daniel and Ezekiel. They will do just that. They will quickly rise to power. As soon as all the people, all the Christians are raptured off of the earth, the great dragon he's called, Satan, and his fellow beasts, this unholy trinity that he will develop, they will rise to power and they will establish their kingdoms here on the earth, bringing about a one-world religion they call the great harlot. And then also at the same time in chapter 18, we read about where the Antichrist will be enforcing the use of his mark of the beast and will have developed this great financial system throughout the world. And he'll have complete control over everything that goes on in the world from this place that is called Babylon the Great. So all the while then that Satan is bringing about his plans, his purposes, God will also be working out his plans and purposes. As Satan has risen to power, God will call forth his 144,000 Jewish evangelists. He'll call forth these two witnesses and many other ministers. And from those multitudes of men and women from every tribe and nation and tongue on the earth will turn their hearts to Christ. And we're going to read about those here in chapter 16. Now all the while that that is taking place, Jesus is continuing to open up these seals that are on the great scroll. And the powerful angels that He calls forth will continue to pour out the fury of God upon the people and upon the nations of the world. We read there where stars fall from the sky, literal stars will fall from the sky, killing billions of people. Billions of people. We wonder what is taking place in countries like America. America is not mentioned here. Neither is Europe. Neither is South America. What's taking place? Are these same plagues falling upon all of those lands? Killing again billions of people, 
wildlife, sea life, burning up the land, poisoning the water, all of those bowls of wrath that God is using to frustrate all of the plans of the Antichrist. Because what God is doing, what God is doing is He is guiding the Antichrist to this end. The Antichrist doesn't know that, but that's God's plan. So then, turn if you will to chapter 16. And I want us to begin to read about how God will bring all of these many evil people to this great battle, the battle of Armageddon. Verse 1 of chapter 16. Then I heard a loud voice from the temple telling the seven angels, Go and pour out on the earth the seven bowls of wrath of God. So the first angel went and poured out his bowl on the earth, and harmful and painful sores came upon people who bore the mark of the beast and worshipped its image. Now note in those words that this wrath that God is pouring out upon the people does not touch those who have given their hearts to Christ. Only those who have taken this 666, this mark of the beast, and the ones that are worshiping the Antichrist. Verse 2 again. So the first angel went and poured out his bowl on the earth, and harmful and painful sores came up on the people who bore the mark of the beast and worshiped its image. I want to emphasize that again because there are those who will have not taken that mark. They will be side by side with so many of these that these awful bowls of wrath get poured out upon them, and yet they will not be touched. Verse 3, second angel poured out his bowl into the sea, and it became like the blood of a corpse, and every living thing died that was in the sea. I pondered if this is the whole earth, and it seems to be the whole earth. Can you imagine that? From all of those many programs that you have viewed on the Nature Channel, you know that the oceans just teem with billions, even trillions of sea creatures all across our world. And the Lord here says they'll all die right at that moment. All of them will die. Verse 4. The third angel poured out his bowl into the river and into the springs of water, and they became blood. And I heard the angel in charge of the waters say, Just are you, O Holy One, who is and who was. For you brought these judgments, for they have shed the blood of saints and prophets, and you have given them blood to drink. It is what they deserve. And I heard the altar saying, Yes, Lord God, the Almighty, true and just, are your judgments. Now, this is an emphasis that God is just in all that He does. God cannot do anything that violates His own holiness. So this is justice that's being carried out. And while we may want to wonder if God is being merciful or whatever we might come to our mind, God is just and He must honor His justice just like He would honor His mercy. And here he is meeting out justice. Verse 8, The fourth angel poured out his bowl on the sun, and it was allowed to scorch people with fire. They were scorched by the fierce heat, and they cursed the name of God who had power over these plagues. 
Now, recall that if we were exposed to the sun without forms of filter that are in our atmosphere, this very thing would happen to us. And that's what took place here. He poured out this bowl of wrath on the sun and it allowed that pure sunlight with all of the gamma rays and beta rays and all of those other things that do damage to come through and it scorched the people. But it says there in verse 9, but they did not repent. They would not repent and give Him glory. Verse 10, the fifth angel poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast and its kingdom was plunged into darkness. People gnawed their tongues in anguish and cursed the God of heaven for their pain and sores. They did not repent of their deeds. Instead of turning their hearts to Christ and saying, have mercy, have mercy, they just gnawed their tongues and cursed Him. Now, as all of this is taking place, as we think through this, always remember that as God pours out these bowls of wrath upon the Antichrist and upon the kingdoms that uh, He's established here on the earth, this is not a battle that is between equals. Too often we verbalize it that way. We say this is a battle between good and evil. There is that sense, but this is not a battle between equals. Please do understand that. As powerful as Satan and all of his fellow demons might be, they are nothing more than spindly fleas before the might and the power of the Almighty God, the Lord Jesus. Please understand that. Another thought that has occurred to me, as I mentioned a moment ago, even with all of his brilliant intelligence, the Antichrist is not able to discern what Jesus is doing with all of this, that He is guiding these armies straight to their doom. Verse 12, listen to this. The sixth angel poured out his bowl on the great river Euphrates, and its water was dried up to prepare the way for the kings from the east. Now this is where the 200 million man army of China will gather. And what does God want them to do? He wants them to proceed on over to the plains of Megiddo. And so God pours out this bowl upon Euphrates and it dries up to make a pathway for them to go on to the place of their doom. And they don't even know it. How blind they are. Verse 13. And I saw coming out of the mouth of the dragon and out of the mouth of the beast and out of the mouth of the false prophet three unclean spirits like frogs for they are demonic spirits performing signs who go abroad to the kings of the whole world to assemble them for battle on the great day of God the Almighty. Now what he's doing is he's sending out his emissaries, these demonic creatures that will come over to America, come over to South America, to Canada, to Europe, to bring all of these armies here to this same plain of Megiddo. All of the kingdoms of the world, it says, they go abroad to the kings of the whole world. So they'll all be brought to this point of destruction. And then note carefully here in verse 15 that these, this next verse are the words of the Lord Jesus. And I don't know exactly why He inserts this verse right in here except that He wants us to have hope. He interjects this right in the middle of talking about all of this destruction. Verse 15, Jesus says, Behold, I am coming like a thief. Blessed is the one who stays awake, 
keeping his garments on that he may not go about naked and be seen exposed. And amongst all of the disaster that's taking place, Jesus is saying to those who still have the ability to hope, those who have not taken the mark of the beast, to have hope. Verse 16, And they assembled them at the place that in Hebrew is called Armageddon. So they have moved down there several hundred miles between the river Euphrates and the plains of Megiddo. But these millions of soldiers then are amassing there on the plains. Verse 17, The seventh angel poured out his bowl into the air and a loud voice came out of the temple from the throne saying, It is done. And there were flashes of lightning and rumblings and peals of thunder and a great earthquake such as there has never been since man on the earth. So great was that earthquake. The great city was split into three parts. Now that's the city of Babylon. Was split into three parts and the cities of the nations fell all across our world and said God remembered Babylon the great to make her drain the cup of the wine of the fury of His wrath. Folks, this is a worldwide cataclysmic event. The earth is breaking apart, literally breaking apart at the command of God. Now remember, He put it together with just a command of His own voice. And so He can split it with a command of His own voice. Verse 20, And every island fled away, and no mountains were to be found. And great hailstones, about 100 pounds each, fell from heaven on people. And they cursed God for the plague of the hails because the plague was so severe. And that ends chapter 16. Then at that point, the Lord goes back and in chapters 17 and 18, reminds us of what He has been doing. And He speaks there of the fall of this great harlot, this one world religion and also the destruction of Babylon the Great. We studied those in a message a few weeks back and so we'll not go there today. But let's move on to chapter 19. Chapter 19, verse 1. After this, John says, I heard what seemed to be the loud voice of a great multitude in heaven crying out, Hallelujah! Salvation and glory and power belong to our God, for His judgments are true and just. For He has judged the great prostitute who corrupted the earth with her immorality. Now this is this one world religion. And has avenged on her the blood of His servant. Now think for a moment. This occurred to me as I was reading this. There's often a question in our minds as to whether or not people in heaven can actually see what's taking place on the earth. How many times have you thought about that and people ask you about that? Look carefully at these words. This is the answer to that question. This great multitude of saints were assembled around the throne there in heaven. Many of these had been martyred during the tribulation and they had been witnessing God judging and bringing to destruction this great prostitute, this this one world religion that has corrupted so many people. They've witnessed God pouring out His bowls of wrath and avenging the death of their fellow saints and even perhaps their own. And these heavenly saints are shouting, Hallelujah! 
with great joy about what God is doing. So then, at least on some occasions, certainly on this one, if not on many occasions, those who are in heaven right now can see the things that are taking place on this earth. Verse 3, Once more they cried out, Hallelujah! The smoke from her, the great prostitute, this one world religion, goes up forever and ever. And the four and twenty elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshipped God who was seated on the throne saying, Amen, Alleluia. And from the throne came a voice saying, Praise our God, all you His servants, you who fear Him, small and great. Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder, crying, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. And then notice what takes place in verse 7. Let us rejoice, he says, and exult and give him the glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure, for the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. And the angel said to me, Write this, Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, These are the true words of God. Now may I offer a thought about these words? And I confess I don't know the full meaning of them. But these words tell us about the marriage supper of the Lamb. When the believers get to come into the very presence of Christ and join Him in this marriage supper. And what this seems to be speaking of is a special ingathering at this point in this turmoil, this point of this destruction, an ingathering of God's saints. And I believe this to be a point in time when God brings the remaining number of believers off of the earth and into heaven. That event that we talked about in another message from chapter 14, when this angel dips his sickle into the earth and reaps the harvest of the saints. Let me read that for you. This is chapter 14, verse 14. Then I looked and behold a white cloud and sitting on the cloud was one like a son of man having a golden crown on his head and a sharp sickle in his hand. And another angel came out of the temple crying out with a loud voice to him who sat on the cloud saying, put in your sickle and reap. For the hour to reap has come, because the harvest of the earth is ripe. Then he who sat on the cloud swung his sickle over the earth, and the earth was reaped. This reaping really does appear to be this final ingathering of God's saints. Now why would I say that? It's because quickly here in chapter 19, the wrath of God becomes almost indiscriminate as he pours out his wrath there at the battle of Armageddon and upon the whole world. And that gives me reason to understand that there's no more believers left on the earth. So this was the end gathering. Verse 10, Then I fell down on my knees, this is John, to worship him, the angel. And he said to me, You must not do that. I'm a fellow servant with you and with your brothers who hold to the testimony of Jesus. Worship God, for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Now, these words need to serve as a strong warning to us even now 
that we're never to exalt angels or other heavenly beings to any kind of high level that could be confused with worship. That's an abomination to the Lord. You put nobody on His level or above Him. These creatures, these angels, they're creatures just like us. And we should never revere them higher than they are. And then pay attention to what happens next because this is when the great battle ramps up to its highest level. Here comes the Lord Jesus in all of His might and power and glory. Praise the Lord. Verse 11. Then I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse. The one sitting on it is called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems. And he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe that is dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the Word of God. And the armies of heaven arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. Did you catch that last verse? And the armies of heaven arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. You know who this is? This is me. I fully intend and hope that I will be one of those on the white horses. Racing into that battle with great joy on my face. Listen to this. And this is so important. This is our only weapon. This is the only weapon that we need. Listen to this, verse 15. And from his mouth, this is Jesus, from his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. Folks, that is the only weapon that is needed. Jesus and his armies of heaven have this one weapon, the word of his mouth. It's more powerful than any other weapon that you can imagine. He will simply speak and his enemies will crumble before him. Praise the Lord. Verse 15, And he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. Then I saw an angel standing in the sun, And with a loud voice he called to all of the birds that fly directly overhead. And listen to this. This is what God does with the vanquished foe. This is the respect that they deserve, which is none at all. These are the enemies of God. And what does God do with them? He calls to the birds that fly directly overhead, Come, gather for the great supper of God to eat the flesh of kings, the flesh of captains, the flesh of mighty men. All of these people who had been so successful and they were leading their armies, they become nothing more than food for the birds. The flesh of horses all. Verse 19. And I saw the beast and the kings of the earth with their armies gathered to make war against him who was sitting on the horse and against his army. And the beast was captured and with it the false prophet who is in its presence and has done the signs by which he deceived those who had received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped his image. These two were thrown alive into the lake of fire that burns with sulfur. And the rest were slain by the sword that came from the mouth of him who was sitting on the horse. And all the birds were gorged with their flesh. Folks, that's what's going to happen at Armageddon. That great battle of Armageddon 
at this point with these words is over. It's finished. Satan and all of his armies, his fellow demons, and all the people who have taken this mark of the beast, this 666, all have been killed by the power of the Almighty God, the Lord Jesus. Now, I'm going to quickly read the first three verses of chapter 20. Then I saw an angel come down from heaven, holding in his hand the key to the bottomless pit and a great chain. And he seized the dragon that ancient serpent who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years and threw him into the pit and shut it and sealed it over him so that he might not deceive the nations any longer until the thousand years were ended. After that, he must be released for a little while. Satan and his strong demons are all bound. And they're all thrown into this bottomless pit sealed over, with no possibility that Satan or anyone else can get out of that pit. And it's here that we're told that Satan will be contained for a thousand years, at which time he'll be released for a short period. Now, before we stop for today, may we take a moment and consider what's being said with these words. Folks, this is God's way of expressing in the strongest way possible that He is just. He is just. Yes, He's merciful. Yes, He is loving. But He is just. And accountability is absolutely real and it will come to each one of us, to each one of you, to each one of your loved ones. Each one of us. And so the question then is for us as an individual question to us personally. As the end of these days do draw near and near, are we each very, very sure that when the rapture takes place that we will go to be with Christ? Are we absolutely sure? Are you absolutely sure about yourself? If you are not, then this, this that we've been reading about here, all of this death and destruction and pain and suffering, This will be the recompense. And may I say to us, we do not want this to be our recompense. The bowls of wrath are painful and it's all beyond our imagination. Hell is even worse. It's also eternal. Forever and ever. So the question is, are you sure? Are you absolutely sure that Christ is in your heart and that you're saved? Lord willing, we'll come back to this point and continue on next week where we'll give consideration to this very mysterious 1,000 years that's spoken about here, the millennium. May we pray.